The following sermon was delivered by guest preacher Rev. John Molina Moore in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here is Rev. John Molina Moore. Good morning, Fifth Avenue. I'm going to spare you from a bunch of jokes that you have probably heard a thousand times about what it means to be Presbyterian, right? One of the ones that's out there that we repeat all the time in this denomination is that we don't like changing things. But I'm here as a physical representation of you already doing that. Back in my day, right, 2009, we stood down here with a banner made of the finest PVC pipe you can find in all of Manhattan and the kids gathered. So things have changed. You can do it Fifth Avenue, you can do it PCUSA. We can actually do things to change. Um, I, I am so honored to be here with you all this morning. This, this space, these people um, is where I dove into what congregational ministry could look like. There are things that I got to do here that shaped my ministry as a church pastor and shapes my ministry today as a Presbytery leader. Thinking about how we were going to gather kids together for worship opened up my idea of what worship could be like and how we could engage the Holy Spirit in very new ways. Gathering young adults to, to drink beers on Saturdays, to play softball, to go to retreats on the beach, to talk about God in ways that weren't limited to what we thought could happen in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning worship. So thank you, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. My, my time here as, a, as an intern, right? Taking the train every day, every Sunday from Princeton, New Jersey, walking in here to be with you um, is, is, is instrumental, right? Key to my formation as a church leader today. So I'm honored to be back with you all, especially on this special Sunday where we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. I'm going to read our passage today. As you heard from Scott, you're going to be diving into Romans chapter 12, which is a, a great capturing of what it actually means for us to be this worshiping community who is ever eager to follow after what Jesus is asking us to represent to the world. So we're going to hear today the first two verses from this wonderful letter to a bubbling up church in Rome 2,000 years ago. But before we dive in, let us go to our God in a word of prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, as ancient words are read, let your eternal truth ring out. What is read, what is said, what is heard, what is felt, and what is known. We ask that you bless this time together, knit us together as your beloved community. We pray this in the holy and beautiful name of God, our Savior. Amen. This is the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to 
Now, Fifth Avenue, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you. We're going to dive into some words and some terms today that make us as the mainline church, the PCUSA, sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know these words all too well. You do a, we, I can't say you, we, we do a great job of avoiding having to engage in these words, I think because of a misunderstanding of what they actually are asking us to do and to be as the church. The first, get ready. Evangelical, ooh. And all of its other forms that come along with that, right? Some of you already tensed up in your seat a little bit. Evangelical. The word actually is calling us to be bearers of the good news, right? Bringing the story of the gospel out into the world, into communities that we know, into communities that we have no idea what they are up to, what they're doing. It is our call to bring bearers of the good news. That's what the word evangelical means. But today, how often do you hear that, that translation? Rarely, right? Today, it's some type of socio-political, maybe slightly religious definition of what it means to navigate through not the world, but our country. Evangelical. We've, we, we, have, we have lost the actual real definition, a misunderstanding. Therefore, we have lost our invitation to participate in what that word is actually asking us to do and to be. The second word, which is one of the things I learned here at Fifth Avenue. Get ready. Testimony. Right? Some of you might have gone to a summer camp or like me, a very small conservative Christian college where this word had a very limited scope on you saying the, 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 the perfect story on how Jesus might have saved you. And now you are able to participate in what we call the kingdom of God and to be part of God's family. But a testimony, a testimony is simply you bearing witness, right? Like what you do in a court of law. You bearing witness to what you have seen and what you believe to be the truth. I was able to do that with, with some of you, some of our young adults from back in the day. Hey, young adults from 15 years ago. From our young adult group, right? Our, our, our times of worship were framed around testimony, but we called it storytelling. What is it that you have seen God do and you're in your life? And how do you know that it's the real, very presence of God doing that? Are you bearing witness to what you believe to be true? Testimony, which leads us to our third word, which is what we're going to talk about today, which is transformation. Us changing changing who we are. Some of our, our colleagues in the faith that we might disagree with on certain theological issues who have a different interpretation of what evangelical or evangelism means, have a different interpretation of, of what a testimony means, would see this transformation as you're born again, right? As, as your moment of saying yes to what Jesus is asking you to do and to be in the world. Transformation. Paul opens this section with an emphasis on that transformation. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. To be transformed. 
I know, I know we have a, a misunderstanding of what the word transformation is and what it is asking us to do. Back in one of the summers when I was not here with you all and back home with my family who li still lives in San Jose, California, um, I, was, I was not living with my parents for a variety of different reasons, but living at a house a couple of miles away. And my mother calls me one day knowing that I'm headed over to do laundry pretty soon and says, hey, me and your father are looking for a, a, a new movie to watch. Do you have a good DVD that you can bring over that we could watch? And I said, yeah, I got one. It's called Transformers, the movie, right? You might have remembered this when I was a child and ran around your house nonstop pretending to be Optimus Prime and wondering why our vehicles parked in the driveway could not transform into talking and moving robots. So I bring the movie to their house. I, this is 2011, right? I, I show them for the thousandth time how to work the DVD player put the DVD in, start the movie, I then go do my laundry, leave it, and go back to my house. I come back the next week um, and talk to my mom, and she says, you know, I ask, how was the movie? And she says, well, there, there was just so much transforming in the movie. I said, mom, the movie was called Transformers, right? You expect them to actually do what they, they, they put on the front banner of what this movie is going to be about, to transform. To transform. Our understanding of transformation is not simply just making a change, right? Transformation is not moving from a PVC pipe banner to one person standing there. Transformation are not slight changes. The word for transformation that we see in this passage is only used three other times in the entire New Testament. The second, one of the times is by Paul, later in 2 Corinthians, in the same kind of context, right? An understanding for us as followers of Christ, for our community, our culture, our way of doing things, for it to be transformed, to be more like the community that Jesus is asking us to do and to be. The other two times that it is used is in two of the accounts of the transfiguration, where Jesus shows up on this mountaintop and, and, and two disciples are with him and magical things happen up inside of the air. In Mark's interpretation of this, it says that the, the robes they were wearing were a brighter white than any person who did laundry service back then could even make cloth out to. A, 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 a picture, a color of white that human eyes had never seen before. Can you picture a color that you have never seen? No. But in that moment, that's the level of transformation that we are talking about in Scripture, in the work of the church. For us to be able to see something that we currently cannot comprehend. We have no way of seeing or knowing what it is going to be like. Transformation is not us slightly changing. Transformation is us thinking about everything that we do as a community in a complete new light. Why Romans stands out as a special letter of Paul's is because it is the living witness to the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's probably not a surprise to you, but 2,000 years ago, we were still very tribal as a culture. That means we did things and elevated things that were for people like us. And I only associate to what my culture, the way my group says and does things, and I'm going to live in that lane. 
So the idea of something mixed, the idea of something that had people from different backgrounds, who spoke different languages, who ate different food, was a revolutionary idea 2,000 years ago. It still feels revolutionary today. But 2,000 years ago, that was how the church was going to represent to the world that yes, Jesus was Lord. That the power of the Holy Spirit was so strong that we are going to break away from every cultural norm that our people have known for thousands of years. We are actually going to transform. And we're going to do it as this worshiping community. We are going to do it as siblings ever ready to hear what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Through doing that, we are showing the world that yes, the miraculous event that happened at the resurrection is absolutely real. And this is how we are transformed from it. So, are we ready to transform? Are we ready to embrace all the things that might come from that? Are we okay living in a community that has a color to it that we have not even seen just yet? Are we ready to change everything so that we can reflect the community, the world, the creation that God had intended from the very beginning? Like I said, this, this idea was revolutionary 2,000 years ago. This idea was also revolutionary in 1956. Many of you have heard hundreds, right, of quotes from MLK. The one that stands out my entire adult life to me is that at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. He says that multiple times. The very first time he says that is in a sermon that is called Paul's Letter to American Christians. That when we stand and sing the exact same songs, when we stand and recite the exact same creeds, we are living in the most segregated hour in all of America. That was 1956. Not much has changed today. This transformational community was revolutionary 2,000 years ago. The idea of it, which we still have not reached, just the idea was revolutionary 68 years ago. So church, are we ready to be transformed? Are we ready to reflect the community that God hoped when God knit all of existence together? Are we ready to show the world that yes, Jesus is Lord? That yes, the power of the Holy Spirit is real. That yes, the God of creation hoped for all of this from the very beginning. See, transformation is contrary to tribalism. Tribalism allows you to live in your circle. This is for people like me who say things like this and make actions and decisions like that. This is what we do as people like me. That's not transformational at all. It might lead to good work. It might lead to accomplishing some things, but it doesn't show to the world that Jesus is Lord. 
It doesn't transform culture and community. It doesn't paint with a new color that we haven't seen yet. We don't like transformation because one of the assumptions in transformation is that the way we have been doing things is incomplete. It's not wrong, but we've, we've missed a few pieces. We here in the church, especially today after the, the height of American Christendom, we love to be right. And we're going to stand by the decisions we've made because we think that they were the right things to say and to do. And they are and they were right decisions that we've made at the church. But we're for afraid of actual transformation because maybe, maybe we got something wrong in the past. And we're going to have to readjust and correct for that. We're going to have to pay back some type of retribution for the mistakes that we might have made in the past, thinking that we were perfect and doing it the right way. But if you take any, any rewind button on a tape and look back to the history of the church, you will see it is riddled, riddled with mistakes that we have made. Our denomination is uh, 40 years old. How I know that is because I'm also 40 years old, right? We started in 1983. In 1982, in America, in the, the, the large Presbyterian church, 1982, we still had segregated presbyteries, primarily in the South, as you can imagine. But we thought, I wasn't there, we thought that we were still doing the right thing. We were maybe honoring some type of, of tradition, be, being afraid of, of, of what that actually stood for and meant of the time. But we did something wrong. Not many of us in the church know that story. That 42 years ago, we still had segregated presbyteries, mainline Presbyterian churches in our country. History will show to us that our, that our commitment to saying that we are making the absolutely right decisions will show that we have messed up multiple times. So how do we live in that balance? To do our best to listen to what God is open to do, but also to know that we're probably doing something wrong and that is okay. That is woven into the foundation of who we are. We know that we are sinful. We know that we cannot do everything perfect. So why are we so afraid of it? Why are we so afraid of leaving the space for something that we're not considering just yet? A new way of thinking, a new way of doing, a new way of being. Some of our churches do their best to, to showcase that we are about transformation. I'll share with you a, a, a brief story of when I first started this job as general presbyter. For those of you who don't know what a general presbyter is, don't worry, you're in good company around the denomination. A general presbyter is much like what a bishop does for other denominations like Lutherans or Methodists or Episcopalians. There are two very distinct differences, right? The first one, which is the most important one, is that I have actually no power, right? I, I cannot tell your pastor where to go, right? Um, I, 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 I get one or two votes on a couple of decisions in the, in the life of the presbytery. I have no power. The second distinction, which is actually the one that is, that is actually devastating for me, is that I have nothing special to wear. I have, <laughs> I have no hat. I have no red Prada shoes. I have no special chair for when I come to visit a church, right? But what I do get to do is to help 
National Capital Presbytery, which is Greater Washington, D.C., our collection of churches do their best to reflect who they are going to be, who we believe God is actually asking us to be uniquely as Presbyterians in our region. So when I started the job, I went around to as many different churches as I could, meet as many people as I can, hear what ministries are happening at the church, start to think about how we can think about this from a larger picture of how we respond to the calling of the gospel. So I do these trips. I go to plenty of churches. Um, I have learned early in this journey that I need to let people know exactly who I am. So I'm visiting a church, in case someone's here from D.C., I won't, I won't name that church. I'm visiting a church, and I do these social media videos where I, you know, get a good thing of what's happening. I check out your parking lot and all that, getting everything ready, walking out of the parking lot, and this very well-put-together, well-meaning white woman comes up to me and is politely asking in the parking lot, what are you doing here, right? She's doing it in a nice way. And I foolishly say to her, that just, oh, I'm your guest preacher for the day, right? I don't say, oh, I'm John Molina Moore, the new general presbyter of National Capital Presbytery, who's also your guest preacher for the day. I simply say, oh, I'm your guest preacher for the day. Her response then is, oh, you must be from the Baptist church down the street. This woman is on their church's task force to dive into anti-racist policies that they might be able to open up for their church, what, what type of speakers and lecture series and, and book readings that they're going to do. But there is something about the way she's navigating through this that isn't fully open to the power of the transformation because she is still seeing me not as potentially someone tied to, to her tribalism, to her way of understanding of what it means to be Presbyterian in Washington, D.C., but to her assumption of what black preachers come from, they look like, what they might say. So, are we ready to dive into the transformation? Because it will change the way we think, the way we walk, the way we eat, the way we move through the world. If this woman from that church was open to the power of the transformation through the very important work of dismantling racism in her, in her congregation, in her community, in her culture, her understanding of that would also be transformed. Our church's theology has this woven into it that we do not get it right. When it comes to multicultural, intercultural, multiracial congregations, the, the churches who are doing that best are back to that first scary word, evangelical. Those are the churches who on the surface, in terms of skin color, best represent the community God is asking us to do and to be. But the downside is they're not also open for that transformation. To be part of that community means to subscribe to their very tribalistic theology of seeing and doing things. Us on the main line are on the other side. We have a more fluid and open invitation for different theological stripes and flavors to come participate, but there is still something about us that prevents us from on the surface in our skin color, in our in, in inclusion of different cultural ways of doing things, there is still something preventing us from doing that. So none of these churches, none of these churches in the United States, 2,000 years after Paul wrote this letter, 68 years after Martin Luther King had this statement about being the most segregated out in America, have 
actually fully embrace the full diversity and inclusion that God is asking us to do and to be. In order for that to happen, we have to let go, let go of what we think the church is supposed to be and open ourselves up to the power of the Holy Spirit that can actually transform. And if we do it, we reflect back to the community. We reflect back to the cities we find ourselves planted in. We reflect back to those who disagree to us that Jesus is Lord because that power can break down these walls of tribalism that no other institution in all of human history has actually been able to do. If we want to see that happen, if we want to reflect the kingdom, the kingdom of who God is and what God is up to right here and right now, we need to embrace the power of the transformation. The power to be something that we cannot imagine right now. Friends, trust in that power. Trust in the active work of the Holy Spirit. Trust in your reflection of the living, moving body of Jesus Christ known as the church. Trust in the plan, the logos that was set forth at the very dawn of existence. That the more we trust that, the more we lean into that, the closer we get to be to this beloved community, to this community that has the power to not just transform and change ourselves, but that has the power to transform and change the world and bring us closer, bring us closer to siblings in one family, all with equal access to the table, all with response to their unique set of needs, all with voices that are heard and listened to and respected, all in this beloved community. Amen. Siblings in this beautiful family of Christ go out into this world trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting in the power for you to transform, for our church to transform, and for this world to transform closer to what God hopes for all of us. And friends, wherever that you go and whatever it is that you do, may you always know that you are blessed by God, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.